0: Father, I just want to thank you so much, Lord, for the privilege that I have to be able to preach your word this morning. What a joy, what a privilege, Lord, that you have given me, Lord, to do this wonderful work. What a joy, Father God Almighty, for men and women to hear your word even today, Lord. The day, Father, where your word is scarce. Thank you, Lord God Almighty, for this great joy. And I pray, Lord, that the spirit that my sister Sue prayed will be on the hearer as well as on the speaker, oh God. That both Kim's hands and my mouth, Lord, will be directed and moved by your spirit, Father, so your word will be made clear and plain. Again, I want to thank you for what you've done for James and Roxanne, Lord, and how you have delivered and rescued Roxanne from that attack in that car. Thank you for protecting her and Noah and the unborn baby, Lord. Thank you, Father, for watching over that family. We give you praise and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Well, you have your Bibles. I I want to, and I've entitled this message, um, Growing in Christ growing in Christ. Now, those of you who've been following um, us on a Sunday morning, we've been going through 1 John. And as we go through 1 John, John has been, um, um, has been speaking to the church he's writing to. And he's been asking them to examine themselves, to look closely at their lives, to see whether they are in the light, whether they're walking with Christ, to examine themselves. Because it's one thing giving lip service to God. It's another thing to actually live the life. And so John has, has challenged the church and warned the church that he was writing to. But now he wants to encourage the church. And it's important to encourage as well as to warn men and women. And he today he really wants to encourage the church. and So I want to look at um, this short reading under four headings. And the first is being changed. Now, if you remember the reading uh, that Dorothy gave to us, John mentions words um, like um, children, young men, and fathers. That was in, our, in the Bible reading. Now, John, when he writes this letter, John is an old man, very old. And he's been an apostle Of Jesus Christ, a disciple, one of the original 12 men that followed Christ. And now, as he writes this letter, he's an old man. And the church that he's writing to, he addresses them all the time as my dear little children or dear children. And in one sense, we are all the children of God. Those who love Christ are children of God. And that is, that is true. You know, the disciples um, in the New Testament, they wanted, to, um, they wanted to get into the kingdom of God out of pride and arrogance. They wanted to say, well, I was chosen first. I was here before you. And, and so therefore, I'm going to be more prominent in the kingdom of God. And Jesus rebuked them. This is what Jesus said to them. He said this. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Unless you change and become like little children. You see, a child is completely dependent upon their parents. Absolutely, completely dependent upon them. I can remember a, a story in my lifetime, when uh, in my life, when I was a little child. I was scarred for the rest of my life by this incident. I remember it very clearly. I was, um, uh, my parents and my brothers and sisters took me to a fair in Barking. And in those days, you know, the fairs were big. And uh, we went to this fair in Barking and and I can remember just walking with my parents, looking at all the lights and all the sounds, you know. And then I turned around, and my parents were gone. I'm sure they planned it, really, but um, they were gone, and I couldn't find them anywhere. I couldn't looked around, and I remember very clearly standing in the middle of that field, crying my eyes out. Cry- I could be—I could how old was I was. I was scarred for life,
1: crying
0: my eyes out. And these strange faces was coming to me saying, are you all right? And I was terrified because I lost my parents. I had no home at that time, it feels. I had no food, which was the most important thing for me at that time. And I was completely, totally abandoned, it felt, until they found me. There was a a man called Thomas Coram. In the 16th century, Thomas Coram saw that women were abandoning their, abandoning their babies. And so he set up a charity where the women could come with their babies. couldn't look after them. They couldn't afford to keep them. And they came to Thomas Coram and gave the the babies to Thomas Coram with a little ribbon or a little brooch to say, when the baby gets older, could you remind the baby that I did love it at one time? And they gave the baby over and then Thomas took the baby. He realized that that baby was completely and totally dependent upon him and the charity that he established. See, what Jesus was saying is this. Unless you change and become like a little child and become completely and totally dependent upon me. Not upon your own good works. Not, de- not depending on your ability to be a self-made man or self-made woman or have some good works that you accumulate over a period of time. No, no, no. Don't depend on anything you can do unless you change and become a, like a little child. Loss. But I was in the fair, nowhere to turn, nowhere to go, only one person that could help me. That was Christ. Unless you change, says Jesus, and become like a little child, you will no way enter the kingdom of God. And so that's in one sense, praise God. Those who are Christians today, those who are born again today, you. Understand that you have changed. You have become like a little child. And your salvation is not based upon how good you are. Your salvation is not based on how wonderful you are as a person. It depends totally on what Christ has done for you. So we all are children. So go. let's go back to John. And, and John um, nevertheless uses those terms. He uses the terms... I write to you children. I write to you young men. I write to you fathers. And he uses those terms. Even though we're all children, he uses those terms as he writes to the church. Children, young men and fathers. Why is that? Well, it's all about maturity. It's all about maturity. People in church should be growing in their faith. They would have come in as babies. But it ought to be growing in Christ. Becoming young men, young women, fathers in the things of God. Spiritual growth is absolutely essential in the Christian faith. Now the writer to the Hebrews When he was writing, he he writes, and he's annoyed at the church that he's writing to. And so he writes to them in Hebrews chapter 5, and he says this, In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. The writer here is annoyed. He's been teaching this church over and over again, telling them about the Word of God and about the Bible and about Christ. And he's been going through and he gets to the stage when he says, I can't believe that you haven't grasped this yet. You should be growing. You should be maturing. But instead of growing and moving on to solid food, you're still on milk. Now milk is good. Last week, a, a couple came to church, they're not here today, but um, last week they came to church and, and the first time they came and they had a little baby with them and they pulled in with the pram and everything and um, uh, during the service, they went for the milk bottle to feed the baby. Um, but when they got the milk bottle out, they found that the father did not tight the lid properly on the milk bottle and the whole baby's milk spilled all over the place. And so they had no food for the baby. And they had to get up and leave the church. You know, sometimes I feel that people come to church and unless I am singing and dancing and and doing my my Michael Jackson moves on the platform and entertaining you, people turn around and say, oh, I don't want to hear anymore. You know, you're not entertaining enough. They're not giving me the the milk that I want. And they like that family last week who had to leave the church. People tend to leave because they're not getting anything from the word of God. Now listen to what the Hebrew writer says again. He says this. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with a teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. The point is this. You must be growing as a Christian. It's lovely having babies in the church. I see Michael Hex has got his little baby on his lap. It's wonderful to have a little baby over there, and, and they might have a little baby over there. Lovely having babies in the church. Wonderful. Can you just imagine if you had all babies in the church? everybody's nappy, dirty at the same time. Everybody needs milk. Everybody wants a bottle in their mouth. Can you imagine the nightmare we would have in a church like that? And what John is saying, we can't have that. They can't be all babies. There must be Christians growing in their faith, maturing, moving away from the bottle, moving away from the the, the nappies and the diapers, moving away from the toddler stages and growing into maturity. That's what needs a church, needs that. We need that here at Goldings. Churches that are growing. So let's look at these three areas, or, okay, three areas that, um, that John writes about. So first area is children. And he, he speaks about children. He, and he says these words. He says, I, write, I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. We can never... Overlook these words. I write to you children because your sins have been forgiven. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. Even a child of a young age can grasp that. I'm writing to you, children, because your so- What does that mean? What does it mean that my sins are forgiven? Well, the Bible says this. God speaks in Isaiah, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remember your sins no more. This is what God says. I, says the Lord, do you know all the sins that you remember? All the things that you have done that you recall and you flinch and you, you feel remorse and you feel sadness over? Well, God says, I have blocked them all out. Your sins and your iniquities, I will remember no more. Oh, the devil will want to remind you about it, but I don't want to tell you, says God, I remember them no more. Not only that, the Hebrew writer writes this about God: Their sins and their lawless acts, I will remember no more. It's everywhere in the Bible. From Genesis right through to Revelation, God is saying, you come to me and I will forgive you and cleanse you. And I will write to you, dear children. He says, because your sins, whatever you got in the closet, whatever things you're ashamed of, God says, you come to me and I will cleanse you and wash you and remember them no more. As far as the east. Is from the way. And why is that possible? Well, it's possible because it says in our Bible reading, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of His name. It's all because of one name, one name, that your sins are forgiven. One name, no other name. Can't put anybody else in that mix. One name and one name only, that your transgressions are blotted out. That is the name of Jesus Christ. I had a story um, some time ago, and I've probably told it here a a number of times, so you might forgive me if you heard it before. But the story that I heard over in America, in a small town in America, there was um, um, twins. These men who were identical. To one another. The only thing different about them was that one of them was a really good guy. He, you know, he, he was a reader. You know, he loved reading. He liked getting out in the community. He liked um, helping people um, around the neighbourhood. He was a really nice fella. But his twin brother was not. His twin brother, the renegade, a rebel, out drinking. Getting involved in fights, gambling, he was a rebel. Anyway, one night, this brother who was good was in his house reading, he had a knock on the door. When he opened the door, his brother was standing there. He brought him in and, and, and his brother came in sweating and, and 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 his t-shirt was covered in blood. And, he, and his brother said, what's going on? What's happening? He goes, I got into a fight in a pub and, you know, and I killed this guy, he said. And, 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 and I need your help. I don't want to go to prison, he said. I don't want to die. And his brother stood there and he thought for one moment. And he said to his brother, take off your t-shirt. And he took off his bloody t-shirt that had a stain of blood, another man's blood on it. And he took off his clean t-shirt and he placed it on his brother. And he said to his brother, I'll take the blame. And that's just a story. But that's exactly what Jesus Christ has done for you and me. He has taken your filthy rags. He has taken your sin. He's taken all your filthy behavior and he said, give them to me. I will pay the price for your mistakes. I will pay a price for your sin. And in exchange, I will give you my cleanness, my righteousness. Divine exchange. Because of Jesus, your sins have been blotted out. And now... There's a relationship. In fact, um, I believe the Bible says here, I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. The only reason why you can know the Father now is because the barrier that separated you from God the barrier or in in the bible terms the curtain that stopped you from coming into his holy presence was there blocking you you could not know god but because jesus has come he has taken that dividing wall down he's torn the curtain from top to bottom that you might be able to enter into the very presence of god and so the word says in ephesians for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. You can know the Father. You can know God because of what Jesus Christ has done. Hallelujah. The fact is, and I speak to those who are not Christians, do you have peace with God this morning? Do you have peace with God? Because you can have it. The Bible says it very clearly. Therefore, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that peace this morning? So he writes to children. The second group of people that he writes to is young men. Look what he says about these young men. He says this. um, I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Now you can easily change that to I write to you young men and young women. It's not just the men he's speaking to, he's also speaking to the young women as well, when he says that I write to you young men, young women, young people, in one sense. And he says, because you are strong. Well, how can spiritual strength be measured? Years ago, I went to a church and they had the, uh, the Tough Talk team there. Now, some of you might know or heard of the Tough Talk team. They're a group of men. Um, one of them was Arthur White. Some of you might know Arthur White. And um, these, these group of guys, they would come into a church and they would have weights all over the place, you know, bench press and, and deadlifts and huge heavy weights on the stage. And these men would lift those weights as they gave their testimony. And I can remember one young man uh, leaving the church with me said, wow, aren't aren't these men strong Christians? (laughs) But the Bible doesn't measure strength like that. You know, Samson was considered to be the strongest man in the Bible, but he was spiritually weak. No, being a strong Christian, it's not about size. Being a strong Christian, is not about how long you have been in church. Being a strong Christian doesn't come in any of these categories. John tells us why these men are strong. This is why these young men and these young women are strong. He says this, the word of God lives in you. That's the only reason why these young men were strong. You are strong, he says, because the word of God lives in you. Paul puts it this way when he writes, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. When the psalmist writes, he writes in the Old Testament, David, he asks a question and he answers it. And this is his question. How can a young man keep his way pure? How can a young woman keep her way pure? By living according to your word. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It is knowing and having the word of God in your heart that makes you strong. It's hearing And loving the word of God that makes you strong. You come to church not just to have tea and biscuits. Not just to see your friends. Not just to sing some wonderful songs. But you come to hear the word of God. And if you hear it, it makes you strong. And you become like Jeremiah. And Jeremiah turns and says this. When your words came, I ate them. And they were my joy and my heart's delight. How about that? I heard your word and it came to me and I ate them and I took it into my being and they became my joy, he says. Or how about um, the psalmist when he says this? How sweet are your words to my taste? Sweeter than honey to my mouth. That's is growing as a Christian. Having a people who do not need to be entertained, but having a people who just love to hear the word of God. And after they hear the word of God, they want to go back and read it for themselves. And after they've read it for themselves, they might want to go online again and listen to it and draw more nourishment from the word of God. If that's you this morning, then you are growing in the faith. Not only are you rejoicing that my sins are forgiven, but you're also rejoicing that the word of God is beautiful to your taste. And that automatically leads me on to what he says about these young men and young women. You know the devil hates God. And you know the devil hates the word of God. You know that? He can't stand the word of God. And if you love God's word. And if you love God's truth. Then you will always have the upper hand on the devil. Always. He hates the God's truth. He hates God's word. But if you love it, you will always have the upper hand. I know many of you know this, but I'm going to preach it anyway. When Jesus Christ was tempted in the wilderness by the devil. What did he say? when the devil came to him three times if you are the son of God turn this bread, the stone into me. if you are the son of God, throw yourself off the pit. if you are the son of God do what I'm asking you to do, he came to Jesus again and again and again, and what did Jesus say it is written that's how Christ defeated the devil he didn't use miracles that you and I can't do He didn't walk on water or do something miraculous that you and I can't do. No, he used the very word of God that you and I also have access to. And that's why the the, um, the writer of John says this, I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one if you want to overcome the evil one in your life today don't come to a preacher and ask him to pray for you don't um, read books on how to overcome the devil if you want to overcome the evil one know and love the word of God, it's as simple as that if you do that you will grow in your Christian faith and so John is writing and he's writing to his church. We're all children of God. But in this particular church, there's maturity, different levels of maturity going on. And he writes to the children and he says to them, you know, your sins are forgiven. And he moves on to the young men and the young women and says, you're strong. Because the word of God lives in you. And you overcome the evil one because of the word of God. And we all should be in that place. Every one of us should strive to be in that place. But God's word is active and living within us. And finally, and my third and final point, he writes to the fathers. He turns and speaks to those who call, and he calls them fathers. Once again, you can easily um, place um, the word mothers into this as well. And he writes to the fathers, I'm writing to you fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. Now, this level, this fathers, has nothing to do with age. I've met some old men with grey hair who are foolish. I've also met some old women with grey hair who are equally foolish. It has nothing to do with age. No. This knowing God who is from the beginning. Has something to do with knowing Him in dark places. Listen to Isaiah. He says this Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of His servant? Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. In other words, you know God, but you're, you're walking with God, and yet suddenly the sun stops shining in your life. Suddenly, things, the lights seem to go off in your life. Sometimes you're in a dark place and you have no light. The Word of God says, Let him who in that position, even though he cannot see God, let him trust in the name of God. Now, some of us know this missionary famous missionary called Jim Elliot, who died at 31, 32 as a missionary. He went out to a a, a tribe um, in in a continent, I think it was Ecuador, not too sure, but he went out to a tribe there to share the gospel. And he got murdered by them. And we think about Jim Elliot, but I want to talk about his wife, Elizabeth Elliot. You see, Elizabeth Elliot was only married... To Jim, Jim Elliott, only married to Jim for three years. They got married when they were 28. And after getting married at 28, she had a a lovely young husband. He was good looking, he he knew God's word, he was strong, and she was in love with him. And they went out to serve God together, or he went on his own and to serve God, and he didn't come back. He got murdered. What did Elizabeth do? Obviously she was grieving. obviously she just lost her husband after three years. Obviously there was pain in her heart. but what did she do? I'll tell you what she did. she went over to the same place where Jim Elliot was started his work, and she continued his work, reaching the men who killed her husband that's a woman who has known. Him who is from the beginning. That is a woman who had no light, had no understanding, and yet still walked with God. How about the writing from Habakkuk? Listen to what Habakkuk says. He says this Though the fig tree does not bud, and there's no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the field produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. What? Habakkuk, what are you saying? You're saying to me though there's no figs no, no and no grapes and no olive oil and no sheep and no cattle. There's no food. What do you mean you will rejoice in the Lord? What do you mean you will be joyful in God my Savior? Reminds me really of Job. You know Job. He lost all that stuff in his family. What did he say when he lost the, the, the cattle and the sheep and the camels and the children? What did he say? He said this, at this job, got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb. And naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Some years ago a hymn writer sent his wife from Chicago over to Europe and he sent his wife over there with their four daughters. The hymn writer's name was Horatio Spafford and he sent his daughters and his wife over there and and as they sailed on that ship the, the ship collided with another ship and it all went down. He received a telegram from Europe, from his wife. And his wife said, All is lost. I alone survived. And so Horatio got on the next ship to sail to comfort his wife. And as he sailed on that ship, he went past the place... Where the ship went down and his four girls lost their lives. And he began to write this hymn. And this hymn was this When peace, like a river, attends my soul, or when sorrows, like sea billows, roll. Whatever my lot, whether the sun is shining on me and God is blessing me and God is doing good things for me or whether there's rain in my life and there's pain and sadness and brokenness in my life, whatever my lot, he says, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Here is a man who you can call and point to and say, here's a father in the faith. Here's a woman like Elizabeth Elliot that you can point to and say, here's a mother in the faith. These men, these women know God. Even though there's darkness in their lives. Even though there's brokenness in their lives. Even though they cannot see clearly, they know God. God. And that is why John writes and he writes and he says, I'm writing to you children because you know that your sins are forgiven. Praise God. That's where you must start. But as you move on and mature, you become a young man, a young woman in the Lord and the word of God dwells in you richly and you know the word and you begin to use the word and you begin to love the word and you begin to treasure the word in your life. Wherever the word is being preached, you want to be there. Never mind when the sun is shining and everybody's down at the beach. No, you will forget the beach. you forget the shopping market. You want to be in the house of God. Why? Because the word of God is being proclaimed. Because you love the word, it's like honey to your lips. But then you grow, you mature in the things of God. And when the sun suddenly loses its shine, and the clouds come over you, and your prayers don't seem to be answered, and you don't understand why, and you're confused by the things that's going on in your life, you turn around and you say, I will trust the Lord. Even though I don't see him, I know that he is still the light of the world. Even though the clouds may cover the sun, I know the sun hasn't disappeared. It's only the cloud that has covered it from my sight. The sun is still shining in all its brilliance. And I know that God is still shining in all of his brilliance, even though my eyes does not see him. John writes and he says, that's a woman being called a mother that's a man being called a father and all of us should be heading towards that direction to say oh God change me may I move out from nappies out from milk and may I come to the solid word of God may that be you may that be me as we go forward in Jesus name let's pray oh God thank you that we're here today so many of us have come into the faith as children Lord we thank you that we're all children of you Lord we're all dependent upon you every one of us Lord None of us, oh God, even though we're a father or a young man or a young woman, we're all dependent upon your grace, upon your mercy, upon your care, upon your love, upon your kindness. Lord, we cannot do anything without you. Father, you said in your word, Jesus, you said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And we believe that. But help us to grow, oh God. We don't want to be sucking on bottles for the rest of our lives. We don't want people to be pampering us and looking after us and changing us. We want to be able to walk with you in such a way that will bring glory and praise to your name. So God, do a work in us, we pray. Give us a love for your word. A love for your presence. A love for prayer. Change us, oh God, change us, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.